And you are listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, the body-worn camera came about in 2005 in the United Kingdom and about 2012 in the United States, primarily developed to capture on-scene statements and video evidence at domestic violence incidents. It then morphed into a monitor of police, supposed to be one of the dichotomies, either to catch officers doing something wrong or to show the clear majority of officers doing professional work. Well, we've seen some of the former, but clearly a majority of the latter, and it just doesn't make the news as often. Well, in November 2018, the Bureau of Justice Statistics published a report on the use of body-worn cameras by law enforcement agencies in the United States in 2016. And this report showed that 47% of general purpose law enforcement agencies had acquired body-worn cameras. For large police departments, that number went up to 80%. Among agencies that had the BWCs, 60% of local police departments and 49% of sheriff's departments had fully deployed their body-worn cameras. Well, about 86% of general purpose law enforcement agencies that did acquire the BWCs They had a formal body-worn camera policy, and one of the primary disincentives cited by agencies who did not uh, get the BWCs was the the fact that the the cost, uh, hardware acquisition, video storage, system maintenance, and such um, were, were too much to overcome. In a 2017 Pew Research poll, 66% of police favor body-worn cameras and a whopping 93% of the public favored them. Well, in a 2017 NCJRS study, 400 members of the Las Vegas police found that the BWC built trust, lowered complaints by citizens, and showed more transparency. And I think that's played out more and more Uh, Here we are in 2021, and today we have uh, guests from Utility, the maker of body-worn cameras with added dimensions and, well, Utility. Bill McAuliffe is the Director of Professional Services for Lexapol and a 22-year veteran of law enforcement. He served as a lieutenant in positions including patrol watch commander, professional services lieutenant, chief pilot, and jail commander. Prior to serving in administrative functions, Bill served as a deputy working in detention, patrol, and court security. He was also a member of the SWAT team for eight years and a canine handler for five years. And also with us, Jason Domkowski, also a past career in law enforcement. Jason retired as chief of police in January 19 after 25 years of service with West Lafayette, Indiana Police Department. He served as the city's chief of police from 2008 to 2019, and under Jason's leadership, the WLPD was the first law enforcement agency to deploy body-worn cameras in Indiana beginning in 2012. He is a U.S. Department of Justice body-worn camera subject matter expert, and he's currently the director of law enforcement relations for the Body Worn by Utility, Inc. Welcome to the show, Bill McAuliffe and Jason Domkowski. Thank you, Jim. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for having us today. Well, great to have you. And uh, the topic is lively. Um, we're seeing it in the news every day. And um, tell us a little bit about utility and how the BWCs are helping agencies and the public. Yeah, absolutely. Um, utility is the maker of body-worn 
It's a, it's a fully connected body-worn camera solution, and it's uniquely integrated into the uniform so that it can't be knocked off. Uh, we've had thousands of these things uh, uh, currently in the field and, and have never had one knocked off of an officer. A body-worn is simple, it's smart, and it's secure. You know, our, our company, Utility, leads the body-worn camera industry in, in policy-based automatic recording embracing and really customizing automatic recording triggers to your agency's specific recording policy. Um, several of those automatic uh, recording triggers are exclusive to utility uh, alone. And, and Body Worn by Utility is, is the most advanced Body Worn camera solution in the world that's always connected. And I think that's what the difference is in how we're helping agencies to your question, Jim is that connected officer and we provide that that solution in earnest well the the policy is certainly an important part of any bwc program and just recently uh, new jersey state released uh, a policy for all uh, agencies in new jersey and it, i just read it it's a whopping 32 pages and you know, for line officers on the street, that's kind of an unwieldy document to follow um, for something as important in, in BWCs. And I'm guessing that policy-based recording is one of the reasons Lexapol and Utility are working together. Can you tell me a little bit about the synchronization of policy and technology when it comes to BWCs? Sure, yeah, you know, when you, when you look at it holistically, um, you know, when you have a piece of equipment, whether it's body-worn camera or any other piece of equipment, you need to have some guidelines or somewhat of a playbook as to how that is to be used. So when you start rolling out body-worn cameras, you wanna have policy that not only determines which ones you're using, when you're using it, how you're operating it, how you're retaining that footage. So the, the policy really is, has to be integrated and, and work seamlessly with the technology that you have so that your people are operating within that policy. And one of the beautiful things about Body Worn is they've, they've made that connection between the technology and the policy so that the operator out in the field doesn't have to think so much about that operation. They've actually come up with the technology to trigger that technology in accordance with the policy that's been created. Yeah, I couldn't agree with Bill more. Uh, when it comes to having that seamless policy and technology come together. Um, and that's really possible through this, this automatic activation. It's a game changer, turning on the camera for the officer. And, and gone are the days of where an officer is being disciplined for not turning on the body camera. That's a big piece. Uh, we've seen that across the country over the last several years where we're punishing officers for not turning on a camera in the heat of a, of a moment uh, when they're just trying to do their job and trying to take care of business. Uh, we like to say uh, that you know, we never ask an officer to do something that technology can do for them. It's it's a, a motto at our at our company, and I think we live and breathe that motto every day of of taking the onus and responsibility off the officer. They have a tough enough job to do, mirroring it to policy as Bill was talking about, and 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 meshing those two together, and turning on that camera and just letting officers do their job. Yeah, and that's what's fascinating about this particular technology, and that is that 
just as you say, Jason, that um, when an officer is engaged in a situation that requires them to think on their feet, um, do some physical uh, engagement and things like that, the one of the fascinating um, aspects of the utility um, body-worn uh, camera is that you tailored specifications to mirror policy of that particular agency. And one of the things I thought was pretty cool was the smart holster sensor. Can you can you tell us a little bit of how that works? Absolutely. Um, it's simple. Uh, it's attached to the exterior of any holster, uh, including any taser holster, uh, to activate the body-worn camera automatically when an officer draws their weapon from that holster. It works on a, a magnetic uh, switch and it, it doesn't um, affect the integrity of the holster at all. It's an add-on piece to, again, uh, any holster sensor doesn't affect the, the weapon, doesn't touch the weapon, and it's a Bluetooth connection and it turns on the camera. In, in today's environment, you've got to have that video. When the holsters come out, a deadly force encounter, and that's where Lexapol comes in with us as well, of tying those policies, not only of body camera policies, but use of force policies as well uh, in meshing those together and then the application of that policy in the field of turning on the camera when an officer is, is uh, utilizing potentially deadly force uh, or certainly any use of force. You got to have that video in today's environment and we provide that solution. We have thousands of those devices deployed across the country and it's a game changer. It's a safety net to make sure you have that video for as a police administrator. Right, and it, it, it can certainly solve those disputes where um, maybe a, a citizen would say that the officer pulled out his gun when in fact he didn't, and you've got the, the proof there in the technology. So how about the foot pursuit sensor? It sounds like a great idea, like pursuit driving the officer, the operator wants to keep an eye on the absconder and be aware of other things during the pursuit. Yet there's this expectation that the officer turns on his camera, radios information, monitors their speed, their their pursuit route, and all those other things. So how's that work? Where where they know that there's a, a foot pursuit? How's how's the camera know that? So our camera is a smart device. It's a it's an encompassing solution that utilizes smart technology. It's a computer and it has a, an accelerometer in it and it knows if an officer is moving at a certain speed to alert and activate. So not only turning on the camera when officers starts a foot pursuit, but alerting whoever your agency wants alerted through your policy, uh, potentially dispatch uh, other officers in that beat or maybe everybody working on a certain shift that we have an officer in foot pursuit uh, because it's GPS, uh, you can have dispatch call a foot pursuit if you want. You know, I'm, I'm a 50 plus year old guy and I can remember being in foot pursuits, maybe in my younger days where even when I was in shape, you were winded and you're trying to give directions, you know, I'm southbound on Main Street and uh, allowing the technology to do that for you and to call that out, activate the camera and you just go about doing your job and catching the bad guy. And the cavalry, the cavalry will be coming because everybody can see where you are on their MDT, uh, it's GPS based and uh, they're, they're coming to you. 
Yeah, and so that fits in. I mean, it's great to get these precursor notices, right? So the officer gets in a foot pursuit and immediately dispatches alerted and other officers are alerted. So like you say, the cavalry's coming even before the officer has that thought process to shoot, I, I better call for some backup now. So that's great. And, and one of the other aspects is this body worn down feature. That's a lifesaver. It makes absolute sense. Has there been pushback on the GPS tracking? I know in the past, um, in my agency, we had some pushback from the unions on the active GPS tracking. But um, like I say, it's a lifesaver. Tell us about that a bit. So officer down, an automatic trigger um, unique to our solution. Because it's a smart device, it, it knows if an officer is, is horizontal, if an officer goes down in the field. And that alert and activation, uh, again, unique to, to body worn by utility, uh, has actually saved officers' lives in the field. And one that I can point to last spring in St. Louis County, Missouri. Officer went down after a foot pursuit. Foot pursuit was over, caught the guy, and uh, was walking back to his patrol car, was alone, and had a medical emergency. He went down. And the system did exactly what it was supposed to do. It alerted, it live streamed, if that's what your policy wants as well, live streamed the dispatch that we have an officer down, GPS his location, and they could see that he was down and they sent um, medics to his location, turn by turn directions and other officers, obviously as well. Uh, that officer, and it was, it was actually a uh, police one story last summer uh, was uh, that was on a Friday and on Monday when he after he was saved his wife gave birth to their second child a young officer so that kind of technology when you when you're overlaying that GPS feature with some of these automatic triggers look police work is more dangerous than it ever has been our officers are, are asked to do more and more and more and why not give them the tools to do that uh, and appreciate uh, that they're out there oftentimes alone and we need to know where they are and, and giving them that resource of if I am in trouble, here's where I am, come get me. You know, back to the foot pursuit feature, I can remember a lot of foot pursuits early in my career where, okay, you, you catch a suspect and now where am I? You're a night shift, you're in an alley, you're looking up, I see a blue house, there's a street light, you know, there's a car, and you're trying to give a description of where you are to your, to your fellow officers to come find you. I think we've all been there. Gone are those days, you know, a dispatch can tell everybody exactly where you are and an officer can see on their MDT where you are. Yeah, that's great, that's a great feature. Well, let's, let's talk about that a little bit more, but first I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. PoliceOne.com is the number one resource for your up-to-the-minute law enforcement news, training, and incident analysis. Our mission is to provide you with the information you need to better protect your communities and your safety. Becoming a Police One member is quick, easy, and free. Once registered, you will receive access to secure law enforcement-only training and video tips, articles and sections, and a subscription to our award-winning law enforcement newsletters. Go to policeone.com forward slash registration to sign up today. That's policeone, the number one, dot com forward slash registration. 
And we're back and talking with Jason Domkowski and Bill McAuliffe of Utility talking about body-worn cameras. And so often when a new policy or technology is brought to patrol, the end user may not be happy with the policy developed by people behind desks or in command. So do rank and file officers have a seat at the research and development table to talk about these policies and how they actually get employed? You know, our, our prescribed approach, uh, working with customers that come onto the Lexapool policy platform is to have a very collaborative, no rank in the room um, discussion where we're making sure that every, every blind spot is covered as best we can. So we always recommend that agencies bring in well-rounded folks from their organization that have different perspectives, yet understand the big picture that can come in to that discussion and have an honest, no rank in the room type conversation about policy to make sure all of that is covered and any of those concerns are handled at the lowest possible level and have a level of transparency so that you start removing that conspiracy theory thing that typically drums up on graveyard shift for some reason, um, where you know it's the admin trying to pull one over on your, what are they trying to get, you know, sneak one in on us. Um, when they are in the room, whether it's you know your line staff or even your collective bargaining units, um, as you mentioned before with the GPS, when you start rolling them into that early conversation and get them into the actual customization of the policy, then you've got that transparency, you're checking your own blind spots, and as you roll out that policy, it's number one going to be more widely accepted and it's going to be better crafted. Yeah, makes sense. Well, there's also a great deal of interest from community members for transparency and accountability. What type of input does the community typically have in the process of developing policy? You know, that's that's going to vary from, from organization to organization. Lexapol has always been a fan of agencies bringing in representatives of their community to make sure that, again, they have that transparency, they have the understanding, they can voice their concerns, the chief executive can take that into consideration. And especially now with, um, you know, the movements that we're seeing across the country around police reform, that's becoming more and more popular and more acceptable, uh, or more accepted, I should say. Mm-hmm. And so agencies are starting to do that more and more. And actually, if Lexapol is coming out with some guidance on that. Um, if you go to lexapol.com and go to our webpage, we have resources on there that talks about things to consider when you're rolling the community into that policy review. Because, you know, one of the concerns we always have is making sure that those people have somewhat of a foundational understanding of law enforcement. Um, we don't want them to be bringing in what I call the Hollywood perspective of what they see in, on TV or in the movies. Any, any cop that's been on the job for more than a week watches a TV show or a movie and say, ah, they know, they understand, you know, the, the difference between that reality and what they're seeing. So having some education, bringing them up to speed, uh, but also making sure that you have that open conversation and transparency is, is super critical um, and very much a part of creating any, any critical policy. And they don't need to see your uniform policy. They typically don't need to see, you know, your seatbelt policy and some of those other more innocuous ones. They want to see and be involved in your foot pursuit policy, your use force policy, use of deadly force, handcuffing, those types of policies that are kind of those higher risk um, and more concerning to the general public. Yeah, no, Bill, you, you bring up absolutely great um, 
perspectives there. I, I mean, my own, I teach at a university in San Francisco. My criminal justice students may not be fully aware of, of the reality of policing, but like you said, that they only know what they know from, from TV or, or the nightly news, and oftentimes that's wrong. So that's a great starting point to get everybody on the same page as far as you know, how the real world works and, um, and starting from there. Jim, one question. It, I'm sorry, go ahead, Jason. Yeah, and one of the ones on we've that. seen real successful is, yeah, it's just I'll add in there, you know, some agencies are starting to look to the people that have attended their citizens academies, if they do a citizens academy for their organization. And those are great people to bring into that because they have been educated on not only how law enforcement works, but how that organization works. And they know the community and the culture um, and they're better positioned to give really you know, thoughtful input. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Jason, go ahead. No, the, the two points I was going to make on that is uh, specifically on body camera policy and community input. The two, the two points that I hear most often across our country on a community input on body camera policy is when to record or more specifically exceptions when not to record. That can be spelled out in policy. Uh, and then most importantly, our system or, or an automated system can then adhere to that policy because there's, there's one thing to match policy and then match practice to the policy. You can have the best policy in the world, but if officers have a, have uh, a difficult time complying with that, with that policy, uh, then that can be problematic for an agency. And, and mirroring those two up uh, is really our goal of, of taking technology and matching that policy so that uh, the community's expectations are met. Uh, and the second point I'll make on that is a, a lot of the uh, other issues with body camera policy is when does the public have a right to view? And oftentimes state legislatures have started to sort that out state by state. And I would point people to their, their state guidelines, their state laws uh, for review, redaction and release of video uh, and make sure that your policy matches those state mandates that are often uh, very specific about the public's right uh, when they have a right to, to view a video. Yeah, I mean, you make a really good point there, Jason. And, and some of my students, they go from the standpoint of why aren't body-worn cameras on 24-7? And I ask them, do you want to see what the officer's having for lunch or when they go for a bathroom break or things like that, right? It's that, it's that simple. And then there's they they don't have the idea or considerations of crime victims privacy in certain situations child victims and things like that so uh, a well thought out policy does address those things and uh, i think those are sort of aha moments when you bring those community stakeholders in and you know those are things they probably hadn't considered agreed agreed so one question along those lines, uh, one question that seems controversial uh, involves officers viewing their own footage from an arrest or an incident that they participated in before they write a report and um, or they have to answer uh, questions from supervisors or investigators. How do you resolve that issue? It seems like uh, varies from agency to agency uh, on that policy in particular. I would say it, it differs not only agency to agency, but incident to incident. Um, our master policy, as we put out for this, and on that point is we say officers may view their 
video before they write their report or get interviewed for an incident because sometimes you don't want them to view that you want to get what their actual recollection is and what they understood at the time especially in like a, a deadly use of force something like that as a as an internal affairs investigator i would want to interview somebody and get their actual recollection of what they perceived at the time they used the force um, and not taint that memory and that that understanding of what was unfolding in front of them with that video. So maybe interview them first, get capture that, but then later on in the investigation, let them review the video and narrate through because there's times where you know that's a, a appropriate when and it's not. So it, we like to leave it up to the investigator um, or the agency based on the, the incident. Now that's our philosophy. We've worked with agencies that say absolutely they should shall view their video before there's others say should not or shall not so you know our policies are customizable to that agency's you know desires so we've seen it go both ways but it really when you start thinking about it in the real world you've got to you've got to leave a little bit of leeway in there so that you can tailor that to the given incident because not all incidents are created the same there's other considerations legally and otherwise that you might not want them reviewing that video before they write their video, their report or you know conduct that interview. Yeah, I think the uh, the incident that we're, we're most familiar with, where you where you don't have an officer view their video or you lock it down, is an OIS. And when you have when you have an officer involved shooting, uh, that's the one where maybe there's. Um, now, in the policy where you make an exception to lock down that video and allow for investigators to do what they need to do. But I always um, found it beneficial to our officers in policy even to have them review their video of law enforcement actions that they've taken, specifically DUI arrests, and not having the officer sit there and writing notes as they're given sobriety tests and taking their eye off of uh, a, a suspect or a citizen and actually doing their job and reviewing the video later for the detailed notes to put in a report to be sent to the prosecutor's office. You know, the daily in and out, I think, has to allow for officers to view that video and policy. But a good policy, to Bill's point, will underscore the need at times, call specific, uh, nature code specific, of uh, allowing for uh, a lockdown of that video. And that's when your vendor is really important for them to be able to, to do that remotely, allow you to do that remotely, uh, web-based, and making sure that it's timely in certain critical incidents to lock down video and secure it and, and chain of custody being a big piece of that as well. Yeah, for sure. And <clears throat> you talk about chain of custody. Well, often body camera discussions revolve about holding officers accountable but the video is also evidence for criminal prosecutions. So what does this mean for evidence chain of custody and the integrity of video evidence? How does Lexapol and utility, how's the partnership address that? Well, I would say our platform, uh, AvailWeb, is a very robust digital evidence management solution. And really, it, a digital vault uh, in the AWS government cloud. So uh, securing that video from the field to the cloud instantaneously is where we specialize. 
We don't have docking stations. We offload that video instantaneously to a secure vault and ensuring that integrity of the video in the chain of custody. So a lot of your systems out there, and I, I had uh, a similar system early on as an early adopter of body-worn cameras where you had the docking stations, the video was vulnerable, the evidence was vulnerable until you got it downloaded after the shift and then either stored in on a server or a cloud where, you know, that's the equivalent of a, bug, a buggy whip now. You don't need a, a docking station. You can secure that video in a chain of custody, sieges compliant cloud instantaneously from the field uh, through today's technology. And you should be looking at those vendors that can offload that video from the field and secure it instantly uh, in a, in a cloud-based system. And I'm sure Bill will weigh in on this. The integrity of your, of your policies then plays into the integrity of that evidence when, it's, when it goes to court and the prosecutor needs that for, um, for somebody's day in court. Okay, so well, <clears throat> in wrapping up, let me ask you, how can uh, our listeners see videos of the BWCs that utilities putting out there? Uh, how can they keep track of the next developments? A really great question. Uh, you know, as a technology company, we're constantly evolving and that's what makes us unique as well. We're, we're never satisfied. We're getting input all the time from our customers. Uh, most of the automatic triggers that are that are unique to us have been uh, ideas that came to us from uh, our partners, our agencies uh, that, hey, do you think you could develop something that does this, that does that? So we are proud to say that we're constantly evolving and, uh, and I encourage anybody to visit uh, the resources section of uh, bodyworn.com pretty easy web address there, bodyworn.com, to gain insight into how other agencies are benefiting from these solutions uh, through our, our blogs and our webinars as well. And actually, Lexapol um, has a, a wide variety of templates and policies that you can take a look at at uh, lexapol.com. I'm sure uh, some of your information's there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's there's some great resources on our webpage talking about, um, you know, video evidence and just making sure that you keep in mind, as Jason was saying, you know, how critical it is to capture that video in a really secure way so that when you're saving that for evidentiary purposes and you're establishing that chain of custody, you don't have technological glitches. You don't have a download problem where something corrupts, you lose a folder, you lose a file or the audio and the video lose synchronization, those mm -hmm. types of things. Uh, and we have a, a great webinar on our webpage where we talk about, um, you know, understanding the limitations of video footage um, and making sure that you take that into consideration when you're looking at, you know, what vendor you're gonna go with and, and how you're gonna store video footage uh, for actual purposes, criminal, or whether it's, you know, holding your people accountable. For sure. There's there's a couple of great articles. I, I looked at that site um, and one of them was uh, the policy on when officers should should view the footage. So some good stuff there for sure. 
Well, I want to thank you both, uh, Bill McAuliffe and Jason, <laughs> Jason <laughs> Domkowski. Uh, thanks both for being on the show. Um, where can our listeners find out more about um, you and what you're putting out, where, where we can find you next this year? So I'll just say that um, <laughs> if you see a law enforcement uh, event, there's a good likelihood that you're going to see us there. Uh, we're growing exponentially uh, with our solution, and we've really enjoyed this partnership with Lexapol because the future really is technology and policy coming together, making sure both are, are weaving um, a, a solution for your agency that is transparent and accountable to the public that we serve. You know, law enforcement's changed a, a bit in the last couple of years, right? And we are... Um, we're on the forefront of that uh, in this policy uh, based recording uh, that, that we specialize in and then Lexapol's knowledge and, and expertise and policy alone has really um, catapulted uh, not only our company, uh, but the, that partnership. And I think you'll see that at some of the events coming up, IACP of course will be there, uh, National Sheriff's Association next month in, in Phoenix and the FBI NAA conference in Orlando in July as it will be there as well. Yeah, we'll be at we'll be at most of those same events. Uh, it's kind of out of my wheelhouse, but you know we're typically at those types of events, conferences, association meetings, um, and also you know there's always the Lexpol.com or PoliceOne.com or Codeco.com uh, connection with Lexpol. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thanks for, for being on the show. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. Let us know what you think about uh, with utility and body worn and, and your own uh, agency's policies. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave us a review and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. And if you want to get in touch with me or any of the Policing Matters team, just send us an email at policingmatters at policeone.com. That's police1one.com. Drop us a note, share your ideas, suggestions, feedback, or just to say hello. We love reading your messages, and we may feature your comments on a future mailbag episode. So thanks again. Take good care. Stay safe. I'm Jim Dudley. 